Good evening, young adults. How are we doing? So good, man. I'm always excited to be back with you guys. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name's Rory. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and it's always an honor when Pastor Eddie just invites me to come and hang out with you guys for a little bit. Um, you guys have been in this series uh, for a little while now. Um, eight weeks? Nine weeks? Seven weeks? Something like that. He's not keeping track, neither am I. Um, and talking about these moments where Jesus shows up in the very humanity that you and I possess, right? He stands in the midst of people and crowds and all sorts of moments where he comes face to face with real people in real time and incredible things happen. And tonight we're going to for sure walk through a story um, that if you grew up in church, you're, you're familiar with in that it's, it's a bit of like an archetypal story, right? Jesus feeding a massive crowd of people. And uh, one of the things that I think always sort of catches us off guard from the very jump of this story is that if you're familiar with it, you know that it involves something miraculous happening. And in the modern sort of Western world that we live in, the idea of a miracle sounds really like quaint and cool, but most of us are pretty skeptical about it. If we're honest, when you hear someone tell you the story of someone who experienced a, a miracle, like one of the ones where they say, I was at a church service and this person came in and their left leg was a foot shorter than their right leg and someone prayed over them and all of a sudden their legs were the same length. If you're like me at all, you go, that seems odd. In the first place, that someone showed up with one leg shorter than the other and someone just prayed and a miracle happened and they were healed. Or you hear this story, you think about this story, Jesus feeding a massive group of people with a very few, little amount of food, and we start to get skeptical. We start to ask, like, what is a miracle? What is a miracle even when we think about it? What are we talking about when we say a miracle? My, my favorite, and I think the most clear definition of what a miracle is, before we even get started here tonight, comes from one of my favorite writers. His name's Dallas Willard. He says these words. He says, a miracle is an act of God that breaks into the regularities that characterize nature. What you would expect to happen in the course of nature does not happen because God has intervened. This is what he says a miracle is. It's when God breaks in somehow into our experience, into our humanity. And the very things that we expect to happen, the very things that we expect to occur, end up not occurring for some reason. When you think about a miracle in those terms, it maybe makes it a little more human for you. What we're talking about is a God who can step into our life, into the world in which we live, and change something. I believe in a God like that. Maybe you're here tonight and your friend dragged you here, the boy or the girl that you think is cute got you here somehow, and you're not sure if you believe in a God that's like that. And all I want to do for all of us tonight is set us up to be willing to maybe trust and believe that there is a God who is willing to step into our very lives and do something special and significant. Sound good? Good. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 13, the story goes like this. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. The words there, solitary place, probably better translate as wilderness. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can, so they can go to the villages 
and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Let's pray. God, as we read an account like this of the life of your son, Jesus, we are perplexed, we are challenged, curiosity sparks in our mind. What if if God is really like that? That he could take the normal everyday things of life and do something extraordinary with them. So God, as we sit here and as we think about these scriptures for the next few minutes, we simply ask that you would reveal yourself to us. That you would reveal yourself to be that kind of God. The kind of God who does, in fact, break into the very time and space in which we find ourselves and do things that we never expected. And yet, the beauty of this story, God, as you're presenting it to us, is that you do the work, but we have a part to play. So would you help us see what that part might be? We ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. The story starts by saying that Jesus has heard some news, and you could go back, we could thumb back through the last couple of pages in the scripture to figure out that the news that he has heard is that his cousin and dear friend, John the Baptist, has been beheaded and murdered. A batch of tragic news to just get one day that your closest friend and family member has lost his head, not metaphorically, but quite literally. We know that in the book of Matthew, this is what's sort of setting it up. In the book of Mark, it's not just that he has lost someone who was close to him. That has happened. But right before that moment, Jesus sends out his disciples into the world. He essentially sends them out and says, you can do all of the things that I can do. So go out into the world, present the good news, bring healing into people. It's this interesting thing. Jesus has found himself at the pinnacle of his ministry. People are following him everywhere. And yet he is receiving devastating news. And so what he does, as Jesus often does, when challenges present themselves, is he retreats to the wilderness. That that word wilderness is important to ponder as you think about the whole biblical narrative here. But Jesus finds himself attempting to retreat and go away, to hide away, to have like space where it's just him and God. And so it says that he hops in a boat with his disciples and he's trying to get to the other side of this body of water. And as he's traveling, it becomes clear that this crowd that was just with him a moment ago is making their way around this body of water to meet him on the other side. Jesus cannot get a break, even kind of, right? Think about that. You've had days like that where it has been emotionally draining, physically draining. If one more person asks something of you, you're going to lose your mind. This is where Jesus finds himself completely depleted, Yet he gets to this other side, and the crowd is there once again. Now, Matthew does some interesting things with his language here. The crowd that he's referring to are probably the sick, the broken, the poor, the people who, by the wealthy and the powerful in Jesus' time, would not stop to give them any attention at all. But what Matthew points out is that Jesus 
doesn't just stop. He stops and he's filled with deep compassion for them. He begins to pour out more healing and people who are sick are finding wholeness and goodness in their life. Jesus, who gets exhausted like you and me because he's human, is still pouring out more and more of himself. And then the disciples come to him with a very practical problem. They say, Jesus, there's a lot of people here. We know that there's 5,000 men. Let's say most of those men are married. We're talking 10,000 people. Let's say they've all got 1.4, 1.5 kids of some sort. I don't know how you divide a kid in half, but nonetheless. We're talking 15,000 plus people are probably standing in front of him. And his disciples come up to him and say, Jesus, we have a few pieces of bread and a few fish. These people are hungry. It's a very practical issue. They don't recognize that all these people need healing. They just simply say, these people have been out here all day. Can you send them home so that they can have something to eat? Now, it's interesting because you and I often have moments like this. We look out into the world around us. We see big issues. We see social injustice. We see that you look around the world, there are people involved in sex trafficking who have been kidnapped. There are people who have no drinkable water. There's racism all around us. Not just even those big things. We look into ourselves and see the personal brokenness that we all carry. And all of those things begin to look like insurmountable issues. You look at them, and if you're like me at all, you go, God, this is huge. You're going to have to do something. Like, it would take a miracle for something to be figured out with this. God, you're going to have to do something. And Jesus, in true Jesus fashion, recognizes that these are the same disciples who just a few verses earlier, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. He gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. Jumping down to verse 7, as you go, this is Jesus's sort of command to them as he sends them out, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Jesus knows that he's talking to people who have already been empowered to do the very things that they are looking at him to do. And what does he do? He looks at them and says, well, they need food. Why don't you feed them? And imagine being one of these disciples. You're standing there with 15,000 or so people. And Jesus goes, why don't you get them food? You would be filled, even if you're not an anxious person, with a deep sense of anxiety. Uh, Jesus, I don't know if you see how many people are out here. There's no way that I'm providing them food. Matter of fact, would you look at the little bit that we have? I've got a few pieces of bread and a few fish. I don't know if I could feed myself with this food, more or less, all of these people. You can almost imagine that as Jesus says it to them, they all start to look around at one another. Like, which one of you, does one of you have this up your sleeve to like feed all of these folks? Listen, there's a point for us in the life of faith when we must move from witnesses to workers. There's a point in the life of faith for us where we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and you have tasted and seen plenty. 
it is time for you to move from being people who say, man, I know Jesus can do this. I know Jesus can do this. To somehow jumping in and participating in what he is doing. Imagine yourself in the disciples' shoes. Jesus looks at you and says, you can actually feed them. You go, me? I, me? Little old me? I, I can't do anything. What Jesus does that is so impressive about the kind of person and God that he is, is that while he is capable of doing everything miraculous, he actually invites those who call themselves disciples to join in with him in the miraculous. He doesn't look at them and say, this is very practical. You can practically solve it. You can get your pen. It's okay. I'm not going to judge you. He doesn't look at them and say, you guys just practically solve it. Jesus is aware of the miraculous that can happen, but he looks at them and says, you are actually going to join in this with me. The healing of the world, you play a part in it. Bringing about goodness and healing and wholeness into the world, into all those problems that look so insurmountable, Jesus says, you are actually going to play a part in this. But the truth is, this situation, what I've often missed about this story, is it's not just impossible because there's a lot of people and it requires a miracle. It's practically a really impossible situation. Think about a few things. In the ancient world that Jesus finds himself in, there aren't like large cities. Even a city like Colorado Springs doesn't exist. Pueblo probably doesn't exist, which would be okay. Um, some of you are from Pueblo. We love you still, I think. Anyways, there's not big cities. So it's not like Jesus could say, hey, why don't you all just get up, 15,000 of you, go in and grab lunch in Colorado Springs. Go to In-N-Out, go to Slim Chickens, get Panda. That doesn't exist. If you were to send a massive crowd like that into a small town, everyone who had food would be terrified. How many of you played sports in high school? Just show a hand. You play basketball, you play football, baseball, whatever. You all remember, um, if you ever, like, played an away game, you would have that moment where you'd, like, ride on a bus or whatever. You'd go play your game, and then afterwards, you and your whole team would go to, like, some fast food place to pick up some food on your way home. Maybe you were carpooling, so a bunch of you stopped. But there's this thing that happens at fast food restaurants when sports team shows up. You remember it if you were there. If you weren't there, but you've been in the restaurant when it happens, you've seen the face on employees. When there's like 30 people that all of a sudden show up at once in matching uniforms, which is terrifying, right? If you have no context for it, it's terrifying. And all of a sudden, they just look like they have seen a ghost because they know every single one of you wants food and you're all individual orders. They start to get itchy. They start to cry. They immediately think, can I just quit right now? My shift ends in 10 minutes. Can I just be done with this? That feeling is what would have flooded a town had 15,000 people all of a sudden been pushed to go there. There's another couple of clues in this of how challenging this would have been. Uh, Matthew gives this weird clue that there's grass on the ground, right? Jesus says to them, why don't you take a seat on the grass? What that tells us from what we can understand historically about agriculture at the time, that means it's probably spring. That means that all of the grain harvest, all the bread, all the stuff that they would have had in stock, by the time spring is rolling around, the last year's harvest is done. So if 15,000 people would have just flooded a town, there's very little bread left anyways. There's very little food left for people. So it's not like the disciples could have just got up and been like, let's go buy 15,000 people worth of bread. It wouldn't have happened. 
So Matthew's giving us clues at just how impossible this is. It's also happening in the evening from what we can tell, which means that if people had a ton of bread and a ton of food sitting around, they've already eaten it. It's gone for the day. So this moment is not just impossible and insurmountable because there's a lot of people. It is practically not realistic for anyone to go get food anywhere. It is, the situation is what I would say is insurmountable and every option they have is inadequate to meet it. Have you ever felt that way about yourself? Like you look out into the world, the spaces that they would require miracles for real things to happen. Maybe, maybe you even look at like your own life. Maybe the thing that you've struggled with for a long time, you've had conversations with God, you've talked with people about, and you're at the point now where you just keep saying, God, it would take a miracle for this to be dealt with. Or those broken friendships and relationships in your family. That you're going, God, it would take a miracle for this to happen. But when you think about your ability to enact anything, to change anything, you feel completely inadequate. You stand in the mirror and look at yourself and you do what the disciples did. What could we possibly contribute? I have a question for you as you think about what it means to join in with Jesus in the miraculous in our world. A question that I think many of us deserve to ponder, which is, will you allow your inadequacies to become insurmountable? Will you allow the places that you are not quite good enough to be the thing that keeps you from stepping up? Will it be the thing that keeps you from serving in your community? Will it be the thing that keeps you from joining in the spaces that God is trying to unleash miracles in, relationships, healings, people's lives? You look around the country right now, I know some of you have paid attention to this. There's like revival breaking out in all sorts of spaces. And you think to yourself, man, it would be really cool if that happened in the churches that I find myself in, in the schools that I'm a part of, but I could never do anything to help make that happen. Will you allow your inadequacies to become insurmountable? I don't know if I've ever really talked about this, but I didn't grow up in church at all. Um, I became a Christian when I was like 17. Um, so it was later on in high school. And the way that I became a Christian was um, the very, like, short way to tell this story is I was kicked out of the high school that I was a part of. Um, man, I fought all the time. I eventually just got expelled. They were like, we don't know what to do with you. And I was like, that's fair. I ended up going to a private Christian school, private Christian high school. And I go from a graduating class of, like, 450 kids to a graduating class of 16 kids. And I'm the 16th kid in that space. I thought everyone was weird. I thought everyone was a nerd. I, had, I wanted nothing to do with this. Except when you go to a private Christian school, um, some of you know this, everyone goes to this thing called youth group on Wednesday night. And I was like, what is a youth group? And they were like, oh, we go to church on Wednesdays. And I was like, don't you do that Sundays? And they were like, yeah, we go twice. And I was like, I think that sounds like hell, but okay. <laughs> um, I start going to a youth group. And my first night at this youth group is their new youth pastor's first night. His name is Mark. And I sit and listen to Mark tell his story, and I recognize that his story is so similar to my story. And I start going to church over a period of time, and, and this was one of these churches that was really charismatic. Like, if you think New Life is charismatic, it's not. Like, this church was, like, very charismatic, like, made me uncomfortable every time I went to youth group, but I still kept going. Um, I think it was for a girl. And one night, Mark's wife, her name was Lynn. Lynn's standing up on stage and she's doing this thing that pastors will occasionally do where they stand up and they look at people in the room and they start to just call out things in their life. And Lynn looks at me. She's gone through like 10 or 12 other people and she finally looks at me 
I'm not a Christian at this point, y'all. Not even kind of. I think Jesus is interesting at best. She looks at me, doesn't bat an eye, and says, Rory, you're a leader. And I go, no, I'm not. She goes, Rory, you're a leader. You get to decide where you lead people. And I was like, how dare you talk to me that way? You don't know me at all. I, lady, I just got kicked out of school uh, for being too violent. Um, I have the worst GPA in school history. Um, I'm not going to college. I have no future in front of me. I am like completely broken in every way you could imagine. How dare you look at me and say you're a leader. I'm not a leader at all. In that moment, what I was faced with was the reality that I would always be inadequate for the thing that God put in front of me. That I would never be good enough for the thing that God put in front of me. Can I tell you the beautiful truth about who Jesus is and about the life of following him? You're never expected to be good enough. You're never expected to have all of your inadequacies, all of your insecurities, all the places where you aren't good enough, all of a sudden rise to be good enough. Some of you, the problem in your spiritual life right now is not that you're not good enough. It's that you believe you're supposed to become good enough. You believe that you're supposed to like muster up the strength and the energy and you're supposed to like, you're supposed to like fight your way to being really good at reading the Bible. You're supposed to fight your way to like having a deep prayer life. You're supposed to fight your way to knowing all the theology and all the nerdy stuff about Christianity. That is not the way of the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is in fact to recognize that you are inadequate and that it's not just okay but that that is, in fact, the way in which God brings us in to the miraculous work that he does in the world. In fact, the truth is, is that the greatest lie that the enemy will use against you is they will try to get you to believe, not that you are inadequate, but that your inadequacies cannot be overcome by the gospel and the work of the Spirit. He will try to convince you that the things that you are not quite good enough in are the things that will keep you from ever doing anything of significance in the kingdom of God. See, Jesus is aware of our inadequacies, friends, and he's just not afraid of them. Can I tell you more than he's just not afraid of them? He's not embarrassed by you. He's not looking at you going, well, if you were a little bit more, I'd like you a little bit more. That's not how Jesus works. That might be how I work, but that's not how Jesus works. That's how we work when we think about people, is we sort of rate them and stack them up against one another. God doesn't do that. So it's interesting to recognize that what Jesus does in this moment is he looks at his disciples and says, hey, I want you to participate in the miraculous with me. I want you to actually be the ones. I think there's a moment in this story where the disciples, if they would have had whatever to like sort of unlock in their brain, they would have been the ones that are like multiplying bread. But Jesus is perfect in every way, so that doesn't happen. They look at him and say, God, what we have is completely inadequate. And I love the very next line out of his mouth. He goes, well, just bring them to me then. Just bring them to me. He looks at his disciples and says, it's okay. I see where you're at. Just bring them to me. Listen, the truth is this, that one of the ways we participate in the miraculous is by simply bringing people to Jesus. By simply bringing them to him. And here's the truth. He does the miracle, we set him up, and we watch. He does the miracle. We set him up, 
and we then get to watch. See, for many of us, the problem isn't our inadequacies. Some of us are actually a little too confident in who we are. Some of you believe that you have like more authority than you do, which is challenging because Jesus gives you authority. He says you have it. So your problem isn't that you're inadequate. Your problem actually might be that you believe too many good things about yourself. You think, man, if they would just let me on this stage up here, I could preach for 30 minutes. You think, man, if I just had the opportunity to bring healing into someone's life, I could do it. You think to yourself, man, if they just sent me on a mission trip, I'd come back with 50 converted people. Your problem is not your inadequacies. Your problem is that you're a little too high on what your capabilities are. So you think about your friends even here who aren't Christians, but you love them dearly. You, th you think to yourself, man, it would take a miracle for them to come to church. And I've watched people do this. What you try to do is like manipulate people to get in here. You're like, hey, man, I just got to go run to the store real quick. If you just want to come like come tag along with me. And then all of a sudden you got them in the parking lot at New Life North. You're dragging them in through the World Prayer Center. You recognize that you can't do this on your own. So what you do is you try to manipulate the situation. You think about the greatest issues in the world. You think to yourself, well, if I just post enough on social media, I can get people to think completely differently about this problem. And then I can argue with enough people. They'll eventually see this issue the way that Jesus sees this issue. Because you, of course, know how Jesus sees this issue. You think to yourself, maybe I can just manipulate it. The problem is not our inadequacies. It's that we are too high on what we are actually able to do. So the tension, the question that presents itself for us is how can I contribute to the miraculous? Because you've been called, you've been gifted, you've been set apart. Four moments that require the miraculous to break through. The question becomes not how can I like hijack the miracle. The question becomes how can I contribute to the miracle without hijacking it, without manipulating it. I think of a moment early on in my wife and I's life when we were married and um, when you get married and you like move out on your own, you have this moment where like you get your first couple of paychecks and you're like, man, that is so much smaller than I thought it was gonna be. I was expecting to be a millionaire by 25. And uh, you realize that like one plus one just doesn't equal two. It's like one plus one equals like negative five somehow. Like you just, you're trying to make finances add up and it's just not working. Maybe some of you have been there even as you're college students and young adults, you're out on your own. And I can remember we had a moment where as a young married couple, we were like looking at all of our bills and all the things we had to pay. And we simply said to ourselves, it's going to take a miracle for us to like make it to the next paycheck. There's no way that this is going to happen. And I would love to tell you that I'm such a good Christian that what I did was got down on my knees and prayed that God would break into my situation and something that should happen wouldn't happen. That all of a sudden there would be like blessing and goodness in our lives. I'd love to tell you that I did that. I did not do that. I remember full transparency here. I remember calling like my mom and being like, mom, uh, my paycheck just wasn't as much as I thought. And uh, you kind of owe me somehow, um, could you like give me some money? My mom was like, absolutely not. I'm not giving you any money. Okay, that didn't work. Um, I called my dad and was like, dad, could you like, you know, let me borrow a few bucks, like whatever. He's like, no, man, you're, you're out on your own. I was like, but uh, you kind of owe me. And he was like, nah, I don't, I don't owe you. Um, I remember calling my boss at the time and being like, man, uh, could I get like a pay raise? He was like, you just kind of started here a few weeks ago. And I was like, I know, but I've been working hard. 
um, could you help me out? I remember having like multiple conversations where what I was trying to do was not like join in with God with what he was doing. I was trying to manipulate the situation. I was going, you know, I need something to happen here. And it doesn't seem like it's going to come through. And it would take a miracle for this to work. Um, let's just go ahead and sort of put our hand in it and see how many things I can get to go my way. You know what's crazy is that um, while I was doing that, my wife, who's a good person, um, was like avidly praying. Was avidly talking to God. Saying, God, man, we can't do this on our own. We're going to need you to help one plus one make two. And sure enough, like wild scenario, we had a family friend who called us and just said, hey, I never sent you guys a wedding gift. Um, we're just going to send you a really big check. Is that totally fine? And I was like, you know, I think that will be okay. Um, I think we would allow it. My point in telling this story is not the like typical, you know, you pray for it, God will provide it. I think that's true. But the point is, is that there's always two responses when you find yourself in a situation going, this is insurmountable. I can't get over this on my own. There's no way that something could happen. When you start saying those words, it would take a miracle for this to happen. You always have two options. You can try to manipulate it because you think you've got the skills and the gifts to sort of make it happen. You can be slick with your words. Or you can contribute to it by simply going to the God who invites you to come to him when the miraculous is needed. This is the standing invitation of who our God is. As we wrap up our time together, I want to read that Dallas Willard quote to you again, but I want to read all of it to you. I only read part of it to you at the beginning. He says, a miracle is an act of God that breaks into the regularities that characterize nature. What you would expect to happen in the course of nature does not happen because God has intervened. And then he says this, you should pray with expectation that God will intervene then you leave it to him. That's the truth about seeing the miraculous break out in our lives is that you and I do not usher in the miraculous. We contribute to it. We stand as facilitators of it. But we are not the ones who make anything happen. It is always God. Jesus looks at this insurmountable situation and he simply says to his disciples, fine, then bring them to me. Friends, what I know to be true is that some of you, Eddie gave this word at the beginning of the night. That said, he said that he thought what tonight would be for some of you is like the beginning of turning the page. And I think that's true. That there are some of you in here who you look at your own life, you look at the situations you find yourself in, the difficulties that seem completely insurmountable, and you have been, if you're honest, you've been sitting in them for years. Your struggle with mental health and anxiety has not gotten better. Your struggle with depression has not just like worked itself out. Those dysfunctional relationships that keep hindering you are not going away. The secret like sins and brokenness that you're hiding, you're putting on a really good show, but you're hiding. But at this point with all of it, you find yourself saying the words, God, it would take a miracle for it to happen. The beautiful thing about our God is that the invitation for healing, for multiplication, for the miraculous to take place is always the same. Well, just come to me. So friends, I want to invite you to stand tonight as we get ready to worship. And as we worship, I want some of you to simply consider Jesus' invitation. 
that the thing you're longing for, the, the miracle that you need to happen, has only been far off because what you've tried to do is manipulate it. You've tried in your own power to press through it. You've tried in your own abilities to make things happen. And the invitation from Jesus is always the same. Just come to me. For some of you, what you physically need to do tonight is like mark that coming to Jesus by taking some steps forward. Maybe it's coming down front and just sitting. For some of you, it's to sing in worship with your hands open, trusting that he's the God who is miraculous, who can do, the, who can do far more than we can ever imagine if we just come to him. So friends, would you trust God with that reality tonight? That the things that feel insurmountable, unable for you to do anything about, there's actually breakthrough on the other side of it if you would just come to him. Let me pray over you as we get ready to sing. God, miracles, the miraculous can seem so far and distant and ethereal and odd. Would you clear our minds of those skepticisms tonight? Would you help us see you as the one to draw near to? That you are, you have been, and you always will be the God who takes the very things of nature and does something with them that is not supposed to happen. Those of you in the room who are struggling with addictions, the lie you have believed is that this is just what's supposed to happen. God is willing and ready to break into that. Those of you who struggle with mental health and anxiety, God is not looking at you waiting for you to figure it out. And the lie that you believe that this is just who you are. You will always be sad, you will always be lonely, you will always be depressed doesn't have to be true. God, would you break into those spaces tonight? God, we invite you into this space. Holy Spirit, would you come over the next few moments and meet us in our brokenness, meet us in our situations that feel insurmountable, regardless of our inadequacies, regardless of the places that we have been prideful and tried to manipulate things on our own. Would you please meet us. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, who is more than able to save and heal and bring goodness into our lives. Amen.